Hi, this is Scott Thompson. Coming up on today's podcast, we talk about Opsu and Unifor joining forces as well. The 41st President of the United States, the tributes pour in. Is anybody comparing him to Trump? And a great story about the fragility of life and what is truly important. It's all coming up. Thanks for listening. Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Opsu and Unifor uh, have decided to pool resources to fight uh, the Ontario government's, quote, destructive agenda. Uh, and, of course, this was uh, all highlighted earlier on uh, this weekend when uh, the Unifor president, Jerry Diaz, stood up in front of uh, his members and uh, dropped the F-bomb and, and basically told uh, uh, the premier to uh, blank off. And, uh, and, and then shortly after that, the announcement that, uh, that these uh, two unions are going to pool, pool resources. Uh, not sure whether this is more about OPSU and Unifor uh, coming together or uh, if, you know, there's more that Doug Ford can be doing uh, that the prime minister is not doing or that the U.S. is not doing in order to keep these jobs in their country uh, as well. Let's bring in Christo Avalis, Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council Postdoctoral Fellow in History, University of Toronto. He's with us now. Christo, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Thanks for having me. So, Christo, is this about GM or is this in Doug Ford's lack of action on that, I guess, or is this about Unifor and OPSU uniting? I mean, it's, it's probably part of it. I mean, I think some of this is, you know, a general dis, dis, dislike for the Ford agenda. Um, you know, it's not a popular agenda with, with most of the province, um, but, but, but specifically with, with a lot of labor. Um, and there's a sense that, um, that they, they need to form this alliance to, to help fight that. So it's not just about GM, because I think it's a mixture of both concerns with, uh, with, with the future of, of good paying private sector jobs, but also the future of the the Ontario Public Service, which is why it's kind of a unique alliance between, you know, one of the largest uh, public sector unions in the province and one of the largest private sector unions in the province. Um, and I think that's where this is coming from. And I think, you know, strategically for Unifor, um, this is, you know, inside baseball for the labor movement, you know, they've recently left the Canadian Labor Congress and the Ontario Federation of Labor um, over uh, kind of internal issues to deal with uh, disputes over members with Unite Here, largely over hotel workers. And so Unifor right now has lost that traditional ally base that comes with being a part of the Federation or the Canadian Labor Congress, and so probably need to find friends uh, when they can, and this is perhaps an opportunity to do so for them. So this maybe goes beyond even Ford and GM and Trudeau and all of that and goes to some of the internal politics of the labor movement. So they're looking to grow simply, right? Well, it's not necessarily growth in this case necessarily. That's one of the, 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 the discussions about the Unite Here issue, that, you know, they were trying to uh, take members from Unite Here. There was earlier a case with the Amalgamated Transit Union, basically some of the TTC workers in Toronto. That was an earlier case, you know, last year or the year before. Um, so Unifor has tried to grow its membership in part uh, through other unions, and that's led to some controversies, um, which is why they're part, they're no longer within the House of Labor. But um, they are still trying to form alliances, and I guess in this case, They've been able to build one 
with with Opsu. How do you? Um, is it a reach? Do you think to to, to try to 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 try to tie too much of a link between General Motors and Doug Ford? I mean, does it? It appears like they're trying to blame uh, what happened at General Motors because he basically said the ship has left the the dock, sort of thing. Uh, is it fair to use him as a poster boy as if he had something to do with this? I mean, it's really interesting. I mean, I think that on the one hand. Um, to blame this on one government, uh, be it federal or provincial, is, is, is probably dishonest. And Ford himself played a role in this. He's, you know, in response to questions, he said this is the NDP's fault, uh, even though the NDP has not governed for a quarter century. Um, he said, you know, it's the NDP for creating a low, uh, a, a bad employer province. And so Ford himself is throwing blame at, at parties. I would say that for Ford, the danger here isn't so much that he can be blamed for these job losses. Um, more than that, this really eats at the credibility that that his kind of low-wage approach to the economy, his precarity-focused approach to the economy, will save these jobs. Because the reality is is that, like in some cases, they will move to jurisdictions with minimum wages less than half of what Canada's is right now. And unless Premier Ford honestly believes we should have a $5 minimum wage in Ontario, then, then it doesn't matter whether it's 14 or 11. These jobs are gone anyway. And mm-hmm. so I think Ford needs to realize, or, or, or people are maybe are going to start realizing, that all it really is is a kind of handout to business, and in a sense a subsidization of, of taxpayers, of, of businesses, when we you know, say to poor people, look, we're going to take away that last dollar, or we're going to give you a tax cut. That's the public subsidizing private businesses. That's, that's all it is. But how do you make how do you make a company like J how do you make a company like GM build where it doesn't want to or cars that aren't selling? Well, you know, there's a couple things there. One, you know, it is a private company, and you know, and really, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, I guess my question here was, Christo, is what can the union do? Like they're sitting there making Ford the poster boy or whoever they want to to put up there for for being anti labor, but really. What is it that they can do, and are they not providing a false sense of security to their members by saying that they can do anything? I mean, it reminds me of when CHCH had union problems here, and 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 many employees that had 20, 30 years in business, they're still out of work, and, and CH is going on. So, like, there was nothing they could do. So what is it that, that, that Unifor or, or Diaz thinks that Doug Ford can do? What, like, and is that not providing false sense for the members? Well, I think there's a concern that, 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 that they're, they're, they're not fighting to keep these jobs. And, and again, there's specifics there that what he could do, could it be subsidies? And maybe those subsidies would be unpopular. So do we but write him a check for, so do we write him a check for another 10 years? They hang on well, for another I mean, five or 10 years and then they're gone? Well, personally, I'm against that. My view is honestly, we have the raw materials in Canada. We have the labor in Canada. We have the technical ability in Canada. We could put those workers to use. Through, through, through planning and through discipline, and we could put them to use to build the cars of the future and build the public transit of the future. And we choose to allow private corporations to tell us what we can and can't build, and I'm against that personally. But if the general argument is that, if we go beyond these broad ideological discussions, is that you know, they, 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 the factories aren't closed yet. And so I think what some people want, and maybe this is realistic, but politics isn't always about pure rationality. Doug Ford knows this. Um, he won on a lot of emotional appeals as well as certain pocketbook ones. And I think he should be seen by some people as fighting a little bit harder for the jobs of Ontarians. And I think that's what's concerning some of the unions in this question here. And maybe it's being used to score some political points, 
But I think if he's really the, the jobs premier, if he's really the, the business premier, then he should be able to find a way to save these jobs or at least try to do so. Is it, about, is it about these jobs? Is it about, I can, I can totally see that, Christo. I can yeah. totally yeah. see that. Because, um, again, you know, when you say things like the ship has sailed. But if GM can't afford to build cars here, how could the Canadian government or a company here afford to do that? I mean, at the end well, of the no, day. No, GM doesn't say they can't afford to. GM has basically said they can make more money somewhere else. They didn't necessarily say they couldn't afford to build them here. Because don't forget, it's not. So about, again, I'm not sure what you say, what you do to GM, or what you say to. Well, we don't do anything with GM necessarily. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but my, 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 build them here. My, yeah. Well, yeah, but well, well, my point is that, like, again, with with private companies, this is one of the things. It's not just about making money; it's about making more money, right? And the reality is that, I mean, that's their raison d'être. That's their their stockholders would would accept nothing less. You know, they're not going to accept the mutual funds that own these companies are not going to accept. Okay, yeah, we can actually make profit here in Oshawa. But, you know, we can make a lot more profit somewhere else. So it's not that necessarily the production is unprofitable or the production doesn't have value. It's GM is determined that they can make more money somewhere else. And for whatever reason that is, some of that might be based on government policy. Some people have said that. You know, maybe doesn't this all come down? Prices were cheaper. Christo, than, doesn't this all? Maybe, doesn't this come down? Although, doesn't this come down to the fact that the end of the day is you know people shop at Walmart for a reason, and that's the prices are lower no matter where that product comes from. And the same here. At the end of the day, the, the, the vehicles produced here would just be too ex, too expensive for for Canadians to purchase. So. Again, at the end, it's the consumer that's deciding. It's the consumer that's making this decision. Well, the consumer hasn't made this decision. Again, GM has been making the cars here, and they've been making them profitably. And you're right that the consumer plays a role. But the factor here is that, you know, a company is deciding, and then the consumers will respond to that decision. But you're right. I mean, that's, that's a debate Ontarians have to have with themselves, whether it's from a labor perspective. Do we want good jobs? Uh, do we want those sorts of things? Do we want to support small businesses? Well, you have to kind of shop at those small businesses. Or you have to support employers that have good labor policies. Let me ask you this, Christo. That. Are those good jobs the ones that just left GM? Or are those good jobs the 1,000 that just went to Markham in high tech through GM? I mean, again, well, depends, we're, we, right? you know, we're looking at jobs that just have become obsolete. Well, are we not? Are these jobs obsolete, though? That's the question. These jobs are going somewhere, and the work needs to be done. Yeah. I agree that there are, there are new jobs that will be created and that we're not quite yet at the kind of dystopia where there's not going to be any jobs for anybody. Maybe we'll get there one day and we'll have a reckoning, but I don't think we're there yet. But I do feel that, like, in Canada, there's work that needs to be done. We're a very wealthy society. We have roads that need to be fixed. We have houses that are leaking energy because they're inefficient. We could, through public investment, hire hundreds of thousands of people to do this work. It's sort of like a Green New Deal. We could do that. But we haven't chosen to do that because our governments have different priorities. And perhaps that's because those priorities are a bit more focused on the private sector. But we have options in our society to do something truly different. During World War II, I mean, some of that was driven by private companies. But ultimately, it was the public through taxes and through public solidarity that won that war and that produced more goods than we had ever done to that point. So the public can do it still. We can do it if we have the kind of desire and the motivation. But we've chosen to put kind of all of our economic eggs into a private sector basket. And I think that's potentially limiting. We could build the public transit of the future using public money and subsidizing it and building something that over the long term 
of positive social, economic, and environmental outcomes for Canadians. We don't need GM for that. Well said. Christo Abelis has been with us. Social Sciences, although I may not agree with all your points. Social Sciences <laughs> and Humanities Research Council Postdoctoral Fellow at History University of Toronto. Christo, as always, thank you for the time. Much appreciated. Uh, let's bring in Michael Tope, Troy Media Syndicated columnist, contributor to the Washington Times, and he is with us now. Michael, thanks for your time, as always. Much appreciated. Happy to do so, Scott. Uh, is this about General Motors and their workers, or is this about Unifor and OPSU uniting and strategizing? Well, it's, it's a lot of both, but, <clears throat> I mean, I, I think you have to put both parts into the equation. But, I mean, a, a lot of things are happening here. Obviously, there's frustration on one end, and we see that through the way Unifor feels, you know, frustrated but due to the fact that at least 1,000 to 2,000 of their members will be out of work at some point next year. They realize that the city of Oshawa is going to be a complete disaster. And on the other side... General Motors, which, you know, has its own plan of action, and it's not going to negotiate anything. They've told both the provincial and federal governments that they will be shutting down the auto plant in Oshawa next year, at the end at some point, and there's no ands, ifs, or buts about it. They're going. So they have their own things to deal with. But at the same time, General Motors has received a lot of criticism, which I'm sure their communications department could have probably lived without, based on the way that they handled things, where it was sort of done under a bit of cloak of darkness. They didn't hold an official press conference. They put out a media release that was initially that was immediately criticized, and they kind of just sort of held up their hand and just let it go at this stage. So obviously people will take sides, and it's not an issue so much so as some are making it out to be about whether the free market is at play here or this is some sort of a quote-unquote socialist cause, et cetera, et cetera. What it is is just a very frustrating situation that is going to hit the political and economic environments of Ontario and in Canada in general very, very badly because when things like this happen, and we are used obviously to the auto industry closing down in certain sectors and certain cities, Windsor has obviously already had it, for example, and when you have a little city like Oshawa that heavily relied at one point in time on the GM auto plant, <clears throat> which has been there for the better part of about 100 years, you know that it's obviously going to affect everyone very, very directly. So does but Doug they, Ford now become the poster boy for GM job losses? No, and that's not right, you see. And it's not because I know people are going to say that's a conservative saying it. He hasn't been in long enough to really actually be blamed for this. It's only been a few months since he's been premier. And what could he or the Unifor president do? I mean, what can he do that the prime minister can't do, that Donald Trump can't do, that those governors can't do? Well, starting with uh, Jerry Dias, who's the head of Unifor, maybe he should use some better language in front of the microphone when he comes yeah. out and criticizes a political leader like Doug Ford. You know, the, the, the phrase that he used, and I'm not going to say it on the radio, I mean, I probably could, but I'm not going to, that four-letter word that he said, yeah, it obviously got his members charged up, they were all excited and happy. The fact is, with a hot mic, which, you know, was very common to see happen years ago when people weren't paying as much attention and they weren't as worried about TV and radio or even print publications going after them, it was a terrible thing to say. It was abysmal to listen yeah. to him say it. Every stereotype that people associate with the unions was yeah. brought in that little tiny, I think, 12 to 15 second clip. And here's the thing that really kills me. He needs, that being Unifor and Jerry Dias, 
They need every level of government to help them to ensure that the auto workers and their families who are going to be affected by this GM plant closing next year are taken care of properly. Mm. And whether they like it or not, Premier Doug Ford is working for them and is trying to help them with the negotiations that he's had with the federal government and Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, you know, with the strategies that he's put in place, such as retraining process for auto workers, you know, for the auto workers who are affected by it, so they can obviously get into another industry next year. And he even helped, and who knows, I mean, maybe the federal government was thinking it too, the two of them, that being Ford and Trudeau, decided that EI benefits should be extended for a a greater period of time so that it's not as hard a fall for the auto auto workers and their families over a period of time if they're not able to get a new job. How is this actually hurting the province? That's helping. And you would expect any provincial government, Liberal, PC, or NDP, to do something similar. Uh, a caller says General Motors pays their workers two bucks an hour. That's all there is to it. Of course, referring to uh, Mexico. Uh, yeah. So, how do you respond to that? <laughs> well, I mean, look, the Mexican the Mexican government will arrange their their priorities with unions, and we'll do ours. But I know that a lot of people obviously come back and say <clears throat> that auto workers are paid far too much. And look, there's an argument that may be made in that sort of a discussion. But again, it's based on market needs and market demands. If they are able to arrange contracts with General Motors or Ford or Chrysler or whomever so that they can get more for their workers, well, firstly, the union's not going to refuse it if they can get the deal that they want. B, the auto industry needs to obviously continue to produce automobiles or else they're not going to succeed or survive in this in this world. And C, no worker in his or her right mind is ever going to turn down something like that. So if the price point went way, way down, which is some people are suggesting that some of these auto workers affected by this GM plant closing are going to face because the next industry they're going to go to isn't going to be so heavily subsidized and so heavily promoted and pushed by a major union that whatever their salary is going to be, it's going to be lower Well, that's the reality of what they face, and that's where the provincial government's offer of more job training will at least help you to eventually try to find a route to get back to that salary point or or, or close to it if you possibly can. So to me, it's not that big. It's not an issue of what the auto industry and what automobile companies pay their workers. It's more the point that everyone seems to feel that they're entitled to the salary, even if, say, a GM closes. They're not, because some people, when they retrain, have to go to a lower salary level. And to use Mexico as an example, or just the, the, the cheap price for it, obviously unions are not very strong in Mexico, so they can get away with cheap labor. Whether that's right or wrong is another t- issue entirely, but we have to basically face the issues that we have to deal with in Canada and the United States, and more specifically, since we're Canadians, we have to just look at Ontario. So that's really about all I can say on it's, that. It's unfortunate that... Um that that over and beyond giving money incentives whether it's tax this that or other there's really not and and that's what governments do there's really nothing they can do to 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 prevent a business from making a decision and i mean and 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 diaz was talking about tariffs and such which which you know is 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 a lot more complicated than that simple answer yeah Uh, and here's another person emailing say why not a level of government 
uh, expropriate the land, the plant that Oshawa, to prevent mothballing it and preventing other uses. But what's the sense right. of that? And it's their property, is it not? It's their property. And why would you want... Go- Look, it depends. The person who wrote it obviously may be left of center and happy with more government intervention. I'm not going to support something like that. I somehow doubt with your libertarian-leaning, Scott, you're going to either. And I think <laughs> My libertarian-leaning, I love it. It's been revealed. <laughs> it's too late. <laughs> wow. Michael Tobe calling me a libertarian. I love that. Well, I think you probably are based on our discussions. I know, I know. I'm just, I'm rousing you. Uh, I know, I know. Well, look, I mean, I'm a fusionist, and most people don't even know what that is. So we're not going to even get to that. But basically, it's a a mixture of libertarian and conservatism. But anyway, look, in the grand scheme of things overall, if you want more government intervention, then yeah, fine. Push for it if you feel like it. I don't want that, and I have to basically think that government has to realize it can only go to a certain point. And the real key to this, and we talked about this last week, you and I, was this is what a bailout of the industry gets you. Yeah. Everyone wanted that bailout, you know, when it happened a few years ago. Oh, the United States and Canada have to do it because there'll be so many families out of work. It's going to destroy our country, destroy our economy. And look what happened. We bailed out the auto companies. The auto companies cleaned up. You know, they're much better now. They're, you know, their economic books or their financial books are, have improved greatly and, for, and GM is leaving. So if this is what you believe in, if this is what you want, and that we should have governments bail them out, guess what? I didn't favor it back then all those years ago. I certainly don't favor it now. And quite frankly, I don't want to even hear about something like that because it doesn't work to our advantage. Michael Tobe has been with us, Troy Media syndicated columnist, contributor to the Washington Times. Michael, as always, thank you so much. Uh, much appreciated. For the libertarian comment? That's right. Yeah, I'm still trying to figure that one out. I might have to play that back. Thank you. (laughs) Take care. Take care. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Other news that's coming out today. Former Ontario Premier Kathleen Wynne set to testify today at a committee tasked with probing her Liberal government's accounting practices. Uh, Ford, when he won the majority in uh, the last election, announced a committee in September, uh, days after his finance minister said that Ontario was facing a $15 billion deficit. To talk about that and everything else uh, that, of course, we've mentioned in the last little while, Uh, Barry Kay is with us, political science professor, Wilfrid Laurier University, and is with us now. Barry, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Hello, Scott. Uh, Let's get started first with uh, uh, George H.W. Bush. And it's been fascinating listening to uh, politicians, world leaders, past and present, talk about his legacy over uh, the past weekend and such. And I'm sure right through till uh, the funeral. Uh, do Do you think Americans are drawing the comparison between Bush and Donald Trump? Oh, many are. It's inevitable because, um, as good a president or as good a person, uh, you know, there's been a lot of emphasis concerning Bush about what a a good person he was, what a decent person, what a person with integrity and class, uh, which is certainly true. Um, and indeed, the uh, the incumbent the incumbent president of the moment is anything but. Uh, it's interesting that so, somehow Trump has been able to spare himself from acting like a total jerk in the you know in the few couple of days talking about Trump because he seems to go out of his way to insult everybody about everything and so as if that's part of his charm. Of course, of course, the fact that uh, Trump is such a contrast to Bush only magnifies, I guess, the 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 uh, the goodness and the positive features of, of Bush. Not everything was perfect about his administration. Um, but, uh, look, it's natural when people pass like this, especially, you know, uh, Bush lived to 94, which, in fact, is the oldest age of any 
president of the United States. It's going to be exceeded in a few months, assuming Jimmy Carter can hang on, because Jimmy Carter is only a few months younger. Mm. I think he's about five months younger than, uh, than than Bush is. So he will become the oldest person ever to uh, have been to die at an age where he had been president of the United States. So um, is it a fair comparison to make? Oh, hey, look, you can compare, in my mind, not all your listeners will agree, you can compare Trump to somebody randomly selected out of the phone book and find that, uh, that Trump comes off unfavorably. Um, I, I, I'm just appalled by, you know, day after day of just the nonsense that comes out of the, uh, out of the president. That said, um, look, uh, Bush was a person with integrity, with class. Uh, we're hearing stories about his early days having flown 58 missions before he was shot down during World War II and survived. Um, stories about him uh, sharing his lunch back when he was in, in, in grade school, uh, stories about you know the, the, the people whose lives he touched, uh, just feeling that he was perhaps the, the, the best person they ever met. Uh, so many stories like that. I heard Andy, Andrew Card, who had worked in his administration a little bit earlier today. Um, look, uh, uh, Trump was at one end of the continuum of humanity, and Bush, as American presidents go, I guess was very much at the other end. I'm not somebody who, in fact, would have necessarily voted for Bush back in the days because I tend to support would support the Democrats, not an American citizen, but I would tend to support the Democrats. But uh, certainly the the. That, that one of the lines I heard, I think, from uh, John Meacham, who's on MSNBC, was that uh, that Trump is uh, rather using that old uh, Moynihan phrase of defining deviancy downwards. Uh, mm. Trump is defining leadership downwards. That and anybody in comparison with Trump looks even better than they were. But the fact was, Bush was a person with integrity who was very who was putting not putting himself first, but putting the country first. Very strong on foreign policy and a number of successes. Remember that the Berlin Wall came down. A lot of American presidents contributed to that, but that happened on Bush's watch. Bush was the president at the time of the first Gulf War with Saddam. I think there were some mistakes that were made in the aftermath of that, but nonetheless, on foreign policy, uh, Bush, I think, gets pretty close to an A-level rating, even from somebody like me who wouldn't have voted for him. Domestic policy, perhaps that's a little bit different, that it, it, because, in fact, the reason he was only a one-term president was that, in fact, his presidency ended in recession. Um, and indeed, when we normally evaluate American presidents, we tend to look at the good ones as, by definition, having served two terms, being reelected. Bush wasn't. Some have argued that, in fact, he perhaps is the best one-term president ever in the United States history because, in fact, he is remembered quite favorably, even hmm. though his foreign policy strengths were offset somewhat by the domestic policy failures. So, Barry, is this a reality check for America? Is this a time to pause, a time to, t to take stock, or like every other situation, another 24 hours, another different, a different news cycle, and people will have moved on? Um, well, no, it won't be 24 hours. I think you're going to be hearing about Bush for the next few days at least. Uh, look, the pa you know, they don't have that many presidents. The passing of a president is certainly a time to, to rethink uh, what, what's going on. Um, but... Um, uh, I'm, you know, I, again, America is so divided today that indeed you've got the people cheering on both sides. What's interesting, of course, is that in fact Democrats are going to be speaking much more positively about Bush, um, in part because of what's happened to the Republican Party under under Trump since. Um, Americans are just divided about a whole lot of issues, um, including you know the various debates of the day. Uh, the uh, the the um, loyalty and the, the, the nice words about uh, Bush will probably get us through this week. By next week, well, I'm sure we'll be on to something else, because there's always so much news being generated by Trump, and there's a number of events that are coming up. Friday, for example, 
the seventh was the date that, in fact, uh, Trump. That, that's when the um, the budget runs out for some of the department spending. Not all, not all of American government. It's quite possible on Friday that parts of American government will shut down. I'm not sure that's going to happen right now. But indeed, that's the kind of thing Trump has been threatening, uh, lest he gets. Um, uh, funding for his uh, his wall with Mexico, which I don't think is going to happen, not unless there's a number of concessions on his side. So, you know, in a few days, uh, we'll stop talking about Bush and we'll be talking about the latest, uh, you know, extravagancy and eccentricity of, of the American president. Hmm. Uh, Bush said uh, during his uh, his uh, campaign, he wanted a kinder, gentler America. Would that fly now? Does that resonate now? Oh, not in the same way. The other phrase associated with him in that regard was a thousand points of light that a lot of people in the voluntary sector, for example, would take the place of government in assisting those that had sort of fallen between the cracks. Um, America isn't such a, a kind and warm-hearted place at the moment. I think many Democrats still use that kind of language. Certainly the, um, the American president, Trump, Trump isn't. Uh, we don't talk. We, that, that kind of language seems to be dated. I don't want to suggest it isn't going to come back at some point. But certainly that's not the kind of, uh, of um, agenda and terminology that, the, uh, that, that Trump is about to use. So you, we don't hear it discussed so much. I don't think it's gone forever, but at the moment it's, it's not there. Does it make the Republicans look inward? I, th- I think the November 6th results are making a lot of Republicans re- uh, look inward in the sense of understanding the, thing, the good days are over, at least for the moment. Uh, and that indeed uh, the next two years are going to be much worse for the party, and we don't even know what's all is in the um, the Mueller report. I'm sure there's a whole lot more than is, has come out so far, um, and I think a lot of Republicans are apprehensive and looking over their shoulder with with some sort of sense of doom coming. That said, uh, they're caught, as I perhaps mentioned before, they're between the devil and the deep blue sea, that if they abandon Trump, they're going to antagonize their core voters that, that vote for them in primaries. But by being sympathetic to Trump, they've, they will hurt themselves and have hurt themselves um, in general elections, and that's why they're no longer in control of the House. And once you, you know, Trump talks about the fact that the Senate was a great victory. Of the 35 seats that were um, up for election in one way or another uh, on November 6th, the Democrats took two-thirds of them. They won 24 of the 35. It just happens that it was an unusually Democratic cohort. So even though the, Demo- the Republicans picked up a couple of seats in uh, ruby-red states like uh, North Dakota and Indiana and uh, one in Missouri that would normally vote Republican anyways, it was just the fluke of which seats were up and which weren't. The Senate election was not a good news for the, um, for the Republicans either. Um, and I think a lot of Republicans are apprehensive, but they're caught. They're stuck again between a rock and a hard place. And that's why, yes, they're concerned, but I'm not sure that they're in a position to do very much about it. We'll see. Um, until American opinion changes and Republican opinion, because there's plenty of people that don't like Trump. A majority of Americans don't like Trump and have all along. But if, in fact, uh, unless Republican voters start to move away from Trump, I think many of those Republican officials are just holding their nose and, and sticking with him as best they can. How do you think uh, President Trump will be remembered if it was his funeral? <laughs> not not nearly as positively. Um, I'm wondering who would show up at all under the current circumstances. Like, I, I don't... I, um, I don't really want to speculate about such events right now. Donald Trump has never been popular. He's always been controversial. Um, and I think um, if he died tomorrow, I think he would have a more positive response than if he dies in a couple of years or further down the road, because I think there's an awful lot more dirt that's going to come out about Trump. And I think in terms of his popularity ratings, um, there's no place to go but down. Uh, that said, the Republicans are going to hang on as long as they can. One might remember there's been some talk about the parallels to Watergate. Richard Nixon was popular among Republicans until the very end as well. 
there was a reluctance. There was uh, wasn't an ins- a sense of inevitability about his um, being removed from office until, in fact, the tapes were revealed by court order by the Supreme Court decision back in the summer of '74. So the fact that Trump is still holding on is fairly popular. At the moment, I would suggest that Trump will finish out his term. I think with great unpopularity, but he'll finish out his term. But if, in fact, the the evidence, and I don't know what the evidence is, I just know Trump acts, acts guilty about everything all the time, that if the evidence is as bad as I fear, in fact, uh, at some point, Republican opinion may weaken as well. And then, in fact, you'll see the floodgates and Republicans turning on him will, that is, elected officials will turn on him as well. And at that point, things may change. At the moment, if I was asked to predict, I would suggest Trump will finish out his term, but won't get very much done in the next two years. And it'll be just full of investigations, not just by the Mueller inquiry, but by Democrats as well. I want to ask you, Barry, about uh, General Motors and and what happened over the weekend in regard to an announcement by Unifor and OPSU that they want to join forces. This followed by uh, following a, um, a passionate uh, speech by uh, Jerry Diaz in which he, he uh, you know, used the F word in, in addressing uh, Doug Ford. Uh, your position on this moving forward, what can the union, what can Doug Ford, the prime minister, anyone do in regard to this? Is, is he becoming the poster boy for GM job loss? Uh, well, they can make a lot of noise. I don't think it's going to change things. Look, I'm not a particular sympathizer of Ford either, but to pin this on Ford, um, you could just as easily pin it on the uh, the steel and aluminum tariffs that are having an effect. In truth, I don't think it's even even that. I think it's just the fact that um, GM has come to the real... If, if it were just Oshawa that was closing, I think I would have a more... Canada-centric view of what happened. Yeah. But in fact, there were four other plants that were closing, uh, slated for closing in the United States as well. The kind of automobiles that they make in Oshawa, the Impala, I guess it is primarily, are not selling as well. And the trajectory is that, in fact, GM does best not with the traditional sedans, but rather with the SUVs and trucks. And they're moving in that direction. The plants, and there are Canadian plants that produce other products that will do well. Some of the Oshawa workers may have the opportunity to go to other plants. I'm not sure. Look, it's terrible news. And I, I can't think, I was just in my class thinking about a, a, a Ontario or Canadian community so identified with one particular uh, industry and one particular manufacturer as Oshawa is with GM. And I'm not sure I can think of one where it's, so the mm. industry is, so dominates the town. Uh, that said, um, it, uh, I'm not sure that a great deal can be done. I understand that Unifor is doing its best to huff and puff and say we're going to fight, and they'll probably launch some legal action. I don't think it's going to go very far at the end of the day. I don't think this is primarily about Ford. Uh, the Ford, that is the, uh, yeah. the premier. Uh, I think it's just about the, the, the bad fortune of the fact that the, uh, the kinds of cars that they're making at uh, the Oshawa plant are not selling into the future. They're still making money. It's not that the company's going out of business or anything. Uh, but they are not. They're projecting that, in fact, fewer people are buying those kinds of cars, and there are more people are buying the kinds of vehicles that are produced elsewhere. And that's the calculus. Um, and again, it's happening in Ohio. It's happening in Detroit. It's uh, there's a, a plant in Maryland as well. Uh, and uh, it's unfortunate. The good news, and it's not really good news, but the best news is that at least the Canadian economy is in decent shape generally. Uh, those Ottawa, Oshawa workers will have jobs. My hunch is they will not have jobs that are nearly as profitable. Uh, because of the, and some of them may end up having to move, and it's probably undoubtedly going to have spillover effect on real estate in Oshawa and other things as well. Um, so it's 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 certainly bad news. Um, it would be worse if this was happening in the middle of a nationwide recession, where in fact uh, the the prospects of even getting any kind of employment uh, would be questionable. There will be free training programs provided by the government will do things, 
but um, many of those people are not going to have, they'll have jobs, but they aren't going to have the kind of incomes that they've had in the past. All right, former Ontario Premier Kathleen Wynne testifying today on a committee tasked with probing her Liberal government's accounting practice. Ford uh, announced this back in September, uh, days after his finance minister said Ontario was facing a $15 billion deficit. Wynne said she's cooperating with a select committee for fiscal transparency, but says there's n- not much to come out of this. Your thoughts on all of this? Are we going to hear the same old, same old? Is yeah, this just yeah, grandstanding? Kind of a ritual, um, the, gov- the, the incoming government, you know, when there's an old change of party in elections, the incoming government... Is act shocked that they've been playing fiscal games with bookkeeping. Uh, when the, the Conservatives did it, when the Liberals came in, and the Liberals are doing it now that the Conservatives are coming in, everyone's act shocked. It's, it's just kind of this ritual that you go through. I, I don't want to suggest there isn't some truth in the allegations. Um, I think the Liberals were playing fast, uh, fast and loose with the rules. I, I mean, for example, selling Hydro One, that was basically to make it look like some of the money because of the income they, they derived from selling the Hydro. Gave, uh, le- allowed them to l- lessen the amount of debt that they had on the books. Uh, so a lot of decisions are made for political optics, for the way things look. But there's no reason to think that the, uh, the Ford government won't be doing exactly the same thing in one way or, one way or another. What for, the Ford government will do, of course, is not use the money to um, for, for the spending programs, as, as Wynne was doing with the Liberals. They're, do- they're trying to use it for tax cuts, and they'll claim that that's what they're doing for the Ontario electorate. Uh, but uh, we can't, um, Ontario, if we want to have a balanced budget, we can't afford the tax cuts that the Conservatives are providing, and we can't really provide the, um, and we can't really afford the, um, uh, the benefits that the Liberals were providing. But they all sort of have a sort of uh, kind of shell game to try to hide what's really going on. And there are ways to disguise and camouflage uh, the, the deficits by, putting, by moving money from one pocket to another. Yes, Ford is, has some legitimacy in complaining what the Liberals are doing, but this is kind of what's, what's done whenever by, by all governments in trying to create the appearance that the, the deficit isn't as great as it is. And I'll, I'll be surprised if in a couple of years we don't hear the same kind of complaints about the Conservatives. All right, last question. Uh, Amanda Simard uh, stepped away from the Conservatives uh, and sitting as an independent uh, not happy with decisions that the Ford government had made in regards to the Francophone community, ombudsman and university and such. Surprised she didn't go sit as a liberal. There was lots of chatter, especially in the Toronto Star, about how uh, the liberals were plucking seats from uh, uh, the conservatives before they try to increase the amount of seats that is needed for an of, uh, official party status. Where are we with all of that? Are you surprised she didn't cross t- to the liberals? Um, I'm not sure. Look, she has plenty of time to make decisions. The next election is three and a half years away. Uh, she may, if she wants to, run as a liberal. The seat she runs in, uh, the Glengarry Prescott, is in the far southeastern corner, based yeah. adjacent to Quebec. Um, it's, it's naturally a much more liberal riding. Um, it's the only um, riding uh, where there is a francophone, strong francophone presence in the Conservative caucus. Uh, I'm not sure that by leaving the Conservative caucus, she's hurting her political career at all. I think she's helping. Might she go to the Liberals? Uh, and, and anyway, yeah. The, um, of course, the Conservatives have, uh, are immediately now changing the, the limits for official party status because they're afraid of just that scenario. Uh, I don't yeah, but that. that's an old discussion, though, isn't it, Barry? I mean, you know, that's what the star alluded to. Well, he's just doing this to, you know, make them uh, make, uh, not give them pol- uh, official party status. But those were changing anyway as boundaries changed and the and population increased. This certainly isn't the first time this discussion. No, has come no, up. not at all. And I frankly, well, I, I, it certainly helps with resources if they had official party status. But frankly, the prospects. And I, I saw a poll that showed that the Liberals had bounced back a great deal from the from the last election. I think they were out, outperforming the. 
NDP, at least in that one poll I saw. Look, uh, it seemed, I don't want to prejudge anything. Seymard may very well run as a liberal in the next election. That she hasn't done it in the first few days of this decision, uh, one shouldn't be totally – she's just keeping her options open for the future. Uh, I think she has a political future if she wants to um, in that riding, just not as a conservative. All right. Barry Kay has been with us, political science professor, Wilfrid Laurier University. Barry, as always, thank you for the time. Much appreciated. Thank you. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. All right. So uh, Mike's been trying to call and and we keep missing each other and and so on and so forth. As I said, you want to get on, uh, feel free. Uh, give us a call, 905-645-3221, star 9900 on your cell. We'll try to squeeze you in uh, whenever we can. Uh, also, send us a note, Scott Thompson at 900CHML.com. Mike, how are you? Excellent. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Uh, what's on your mind? What's on my mind is why would any radio station support the treasonous actions taken by Trudeau and Ford? What can they do, Mike? I mean, you know, and this is what we're saying to the experts that we're talking to. If a company doesn't want to build uh, in your uh, community and and those cars aren't selling, what do you do? Do you hold them back? Do you put tariffs on their cars? Yes, do we you, do. Do you bring... Do you, do you, we put trade barriers. That's what we did for 200 friggin' years, and it worked out fine. Now, ever since free trade came in, thanks to Reagan and everybody, every president that followed him since, or prime minister... They are wrong. You know why, though? Like, we sell more products than we consume. In other words, we build more cars than we drive or, or, or more products than we consume as a country, as a nation. So we have to trade with other parts of the world in order for that to happen. We did that before free trade. Different time, different world, a much more complex world. economy. Same world, same world. We, we functioned well, we made money, we could walk from one job to another, and free trade came, and jobs started vanishing, and they blamed unions, they blamed everything in the world. Manufacturing jobs, hang on a sec, M- Mike, manufacturing jobs have left. Other jobs have increased. Jobs are not the only jobs that have left. Corporate jobs have left. There's no hardly any corporate seats in Canada. Employment said it's all, is at a very low rate right now, though, Mike. Unemployment today is all part-time jobs that are That's being... full-time jobs, not, not, not full-time part-time jobs. jobs. That's a lie. Part-time jobs are the majority of jobs that have been created since free trade started in this country. And that's a fact. Now, you talk about Trudeau. Uh, this goes way back beyond Trudeau. He has no friggin' idea of the actual pain of what he's do- causing to the people of this country. And you know better. Again, I, I don't think you can do business the way you did in the 1960s, Mike. I just, the, the times have changed. You know, we're all, you know, everybody, you can't, because you can't do the same job that you did for 30 years. It just doesn't happen anymore. Matter. You can do the same, you can have the same ownership of the product as we had for 200 years. If you want to sell in Canada, you build in Canada. That was the law. When they took away the tra- tariffs and trade barriers, that law vanished. And ever since, we've had a trickle and a flood of jobs leaving this country, and you know it. Do you shop That's at? What really pisses me off. Do you shop at what? Walmart, Mike? What? Do you shop at Walmart? No, I do not, <laughs> and I never have. <laughs> do you ever buy any products from other? I, I'm telling you. Do you buy any products uh, from other parts of the world? Do you buy any? Do you buy products from any other part of the world other than Canada? What, the government has set it up so we have no alternative. That's the whole point, Scott. 
the government has set it up that we have no products in this country being manufactured that we want or need. Do you think we can manufacture left, cars? As, do you think we can manufacture cars and keep the price where they are now? We can manufacture cars for half the price. Oh, all right, Mike. I got to let you go. Uh, I don't think we can manufacture cars half the price that what General Motors is making them now. Unfortunately, this is a, a sad sign of the times, and many have said you can, you know, bring them back and and offer them more money to stay. But in five to ten years, you're going to be in the same place that you are now. Um, and uh, I don't think it's as easy as slapping tariffs on on GM cars. Although, here's a lady we could ask. Uh, normally, uh, when we do talk to uh, Lorraine Sommerfeld, we talk about cars and the businesses we were just talking about. Uh, but she has uh, written a column in her motherload column in the Hamilton Spectator today, which is just, it, it just brings tears to your eyes. And uh, I want to bring Lorraine on now. Lorraine, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. How you doing? I'm doing well. Do you want to comment on the GM thing before we get into this? I've been talking about it for a week now. Um, <laughs> what, can, what can we do? You know this business. What can well, we do? I think the th- I, I, my column uh, last Friday, I think, on this is, you know, consumers are to blame, frankly, because they're buying bigger and bigger and bigger. And GM in the late 60s, one of every two cars on the road was a GM. Now they're about 17% of the market. So it has to contract. And the other thing is this industry, and I heard Mike before I came on, and I understand except the auto industry has never, ever, ever gone through as much change as quickly as it is right now. And frankly, every manufacturer is trying to forecast where we're going to be. They're trying to shoot the puck where we're going. And Mazda just said they're not going into electrics at all, and they're sticking with diesel. That's a really ballsy move. And wow. everyone else, everyone, hmm. I know, everyone else is pushing into electric. They went to hybrids. They tried diesel. So honestly, manufacturers have usually been able to predict consumer tastes and be there with the technology. This spin around now is going so quickly, and even rideshare stuff, they're calling it mobility now. They're not even calling it car stuff. Mm-hmm. They're calling it mo- mobility. So it is absolutely changing so quickly. Nobody can catch up. The love affair is changing with the car. It is. It is. The younger ones coming in, they're not like we were trying to, you know, wanting to wrench with dad and stuff. It's changing quickly. So what yeah. do you say to the mics of the world? Um, I, I actually like talking to the mics of the world. And a lot of people want to blame government. They want to blame. There's lots of blame to go around. I don't think our government should be bailing out the Oshawa plant. And I feel I know people that I really feel for them. It was a shock, but not a surprise. Um, that was a huge booming plant, but that was 30 years ago, 40 years ago. There's a lifespan of plants anyway. And if you say, well, just retool to make the bigger stuff people want, they close plants in the States as well. It's contracting. They don't have the volume. And, and that's how you answer, we did it before. We used to do it. Why can't we do it now? It's a well, different game. The auto industry and has changed mostly because of robotics. Like everything that used to be done hands-on. And yet they're really quick to blame cheap labor. It's not just that, is it? No, you you can't make a car that doesn't hit excruciating safety standards anymore. Like our cars are so safe, so safe and so reliable compared to what the good old days when everyone used to die if they were in a collision. So, no, the cars are frankly spectacular. Like it's insane how good they are. Fatality rates have tumbled, like just tumbled because the cars are saving people. So I'm not, there's no way I'm taking away from the quality of those cars. And we know robotics has changed every industry 
And yes, it's taken away manufacturing jobs, but they're bringing in a ton of engineering jobs and IT jobs. It's changing. You, you told them absolutely right. It's changing, and to resist it is silly. We need to tell our kids, go into the STEM, go into stuff that will position you for what's coming, because we're not going backwards. Well said. All right. Uh, the, the column that you've written, why did you choose to write this? Because I write about everything, and 15 years I've kept my readers on board with just about everything in my life. Mm, and that you have. This is a big chapter, and the kids cleared it. They said, okay. So, Did uh, you talk to them first? Oh, yeah. I have for 15 years. Yeah. They sign off on everything. So, yeah, when we found out last week that Christopher has a brain tumor, it's benign, but they still have to go spelunking in my kid's skull to get it out. So and that's terrifying as a mom. So give us the backstory here. Tell us what's, what, what's happened. Um. He's always had migraines. He got those from me, but they've been getting worse and worse. The headaches have been worse. And he's got a bum arm from a workplace accident that is just, that's a few years. He's a big boy. He's been a bouncer. He's been a lot of things. Um, but he's also got this weird eye disease that's not connected to anything else. It's on its own. Sorry, I'm in a hospital, so it's a little bit noisy. Um so his eyes have been giving him trouble. And I said, the headaches are coming from the compromised eyesight. It's got to be that. We'll get that sorted out. Yeah. He has to have more surgery on his eye. And then they did an MRI to be sure, and they found a tumor. And oh. he calls me. It's like, Mom, I have a brain tumor. And I'm like, what? And, you know, you're a parent. You just – and he is, he will be okay. And I know sometimes getting from here to there is a tough part. I know we'll get there. <laughs> but even me, who – you know, acts like I know everything. Now mm. I'm along for the ride and supporting the kids. And they're they're lovely. He's got the best girlfriend in the world. She's an absolute gem and such a rock. And they'll be okay. And honestly, readers, the fallout from readers, and a lot of them may be hearing this, thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, my, my mail has blown up since yesterday. Mm. And their friends put up a GoFundMe. People are piling in there. I can't believe this. People are so lovely. And, you know, thank you to everybody it's blown us away the support is spectacular so he started with having headaches yeah and yeah. you just you're a migraine sufferer and again these can be hereditary you just thought it was yeah. basically the same sort of thing i thought they were they were ramping up a bit he doesn't live with me anymore so it's not like i see him day to day um i didn't realize they were getting that much worse and again his eyesight that's an ongoing thing that they're coping with trying to get the right it's a surgical thing plus glasses and everything. So I said to him, eye strain is a big, I'm a mother, have a shower, go for a walk around the block, you'll feel better. You know, that's what my mom used to say to me, and that's what I'm telling the kid. That's why the, the column, it's like I feel so guilty. You know, I should be able to see in his head and know what's going on. You're not a doctor, Lorraine. I know, mm-hmm. but we like to play one on TV. You know how it goes. <laughs> so he, I mean, I'm glad his doctor, and he said, Let, let's do an MRI, let's take a look. But they called him the next day and said, get back in here, we have to do another one. And that's when I knew. It's like, oh, no. <laughs> What did they say about the tumor? Any law, Any idea how long it's been there, how intrusive it is? What did they say about we that? We don't know. The neurosurgeon will see next week. Um, we've only got preliminary stuff. So all the questions we have about that, um, probably slow growing, could have been there a while. I don't know. I mean, we're playing Dr. Google. Don't do that, folks. Don't play Dr. Google. No. But, but he's got a tumor that's super, super rare, like 0.2 of all tumors. Of course, we're very special. Um so it's, I want I want to find someone who's already 
you know, yanked one of these out to do it. But, you know, we have great, great doctors in Hamilton. I mean, spectacular medical community, as most of you know. And I've, you know, dealt with a lot of them already. Our family seems to be blessed. So, um, <laughs> And this is benign. Yes. Yes, they know that. There's no blood going to it. It's, they can tell on the MRI if something is cancerous because it'll be fed by blood and growing. Right. And so, thank, I mean, they told me that and I just fell off my chair. It's like, I'm so, so grateful. Yeah, like that's so, receiving the worst news followed by the best news. It really was. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I'm still antsy because I still have to go yeah, yeah. ahead and do that. But best, best news, <laughs> absolutely. And I know so, people deal with so much worse. Once they have found out, oh, Lorraine, once they have found out um, uh, uh, what this is and in, in, in the tumor and such, did they say that that was the cause of all of these other issues that he had been having? No, because the, the eye thing is its own separate weird disease. Really? And Yes, it's not connected to this at all. Hmm. Um, the headaches, very much this disease, yeah. have been pushing on the headaches, yeah. but the, the eye thing, nope, nothing to do with it. And any history of anything like this in the family? Nope, not on, no, and it would have been on me because I'm the one that gets everything wrong with me since I was a kid, so <laughs> my mom used to call me the $6 million kid because I had so many surgeries and rejigging, but no, so we don't know where it came from. <laughs> so uh, what happens now, like when you get this news, how do, you, how do you cope with this? How do you move forward? I think the same way we all do with anything. You just keep going. You find out what are the next steps. You do it. Um, you try and keep everybody calm. And you scream and yell to someone you can scream and yell to, but you don't do it with your kids. Right. And what else are you going to do? It, it's You end up so grateful for the things that are good, you yeah. know, because so many steps can go the wrong way. And I know this. I know people that have had far worse news, and it's it's more heartbreaking. I understand that. This is when it's your own kid. You're like, okay, how do I take care of him mm. and get him through this? So that's what we're doing. You How's he coping with this? Really well. He was. He's probably he was more like, worried about your reaction. Well, he's because I felt guilty that I couldn't figure it out, and he's going, "Don't be so crazy. You're a great mom. Like he's a wonderful kid." And he was like, you know you're great it's fine but he was so relieved so relieved that there was something there because he knew it he said there's something wrong in yeah and he goes i knew it and so he's he's laughing he was happy well that's what they say right you can tell when you when there is something wrong and despite doctors saying no 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 something's not right something's not right and now at least knowing he's got a plan of attack and that's the thing he felt vindicated and that's power knowledge really is power and it gives you the tools to go forward and he's named it tommy tumor uh, we have a lot of black humor in my house. And his first instinct, he goes, I could do a podcast or something. This could raise money for people, you know, with brain tumors. And I looked at him. I go, dude, you're the charity. Like, yeah. <laughs> well, there you go. You know, trying to make something out of this. Absolutely. So what, so what's, what happens now at this stage? What do you do? I'm waiting for dates and consults, basically. And uh, then we'll make choices and see what's going on. And 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 did, did the doctor say anything about a prognosis or? Um, it's going to depend. It's in it's in the fourth ventricle, and like I said, it's this rare rare thing. So I need more information. Um, but I, it's depending on 
I know where it is in the brain makes a huge difference mm-hmm. because it's how much rummaging they have to do. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's the technical term for it. Mm-hmm. Um, so It's not under the hood of a car, Lorraine. No, I know. <laughs> or the trunk, for that matter. <laughs> yeah. So basically, get the thing out. And I know surgeries changed almost as quickly as the auto industry. Yeah. So what, what, you know, 10 years ago, this would have been a far different surgery than mm-hmm. it is now, and I'm grateful for that. They don't disturb as much, and they... You know, the technology is spectacular and the doctors are great. So a friend of mine, the GP, she's been uh, translating for us all the way through, which is terrific. You know, hmm. like people to help you when they're specialists in their industry. So, yeah. Uh, as I'm reading your column here, um, uh, what stood out, too, was the very last line, which I think no matter what the scenario is for each individual family and even as you uh you know you put it there's always someone i guess worse off than what we are um but i think this line resonates with a lot of people depending upon what their difficulty is in life and your last line is i'm just so very tired of having it tested and i should read the line ahead of ahead of that which basically says i'm certain um sorry this isn't the time for my fears and my guilt and i'm certain we're forged of very tough stuff i'm just tired so i'm just so very tired of having it tested i think a lot of people are feeling tested do you, do you get that do you think that's oh. what resonated with your with your readers yeah and i mean there's a lot of people telling me their stuff too because it's i think in 15 years i've made a lot of friends with readers like they we all feel like we know each other which is really nice and they're telling me their stuff too and my family's gone through a lot of stuff we've gone through all the boob stuff the past three years three years and that's all settled down finally it's like okay Mm. my sister and i you know this is good and then stuff starts kicking up again and that is the same for everybody. And I'm really not complaining. But I think you're right. People do kind of go, okay, already. Like, yeah, uncle. As we, get, as we get older, we all start going through this. And I know people listening know. Like, it's something popping up all over the place always. So take a deep breath because you don't know how far you're going down. As you said, you guys are forged from tough stuff. And, and you've certainly had uh, issues and in, 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 in trials in your family before. Does this one, do you learn anything more from this one? Um, I think we think there's an order to this. So if something happens to your grandparents, I was speaking about this yesterday, yeah. or your parents. So we have yeah. an, uh, in our head, there's an order to everything. And there's not. And everyone who can hear this that has a child, even if that child is 27 or 52 or you know 6, when it's your kid, that's in the wrong order. And you're just like, give it to me. I will take it. I will bear this. Don't don't do this to my kid. Yeah. And I think that's that's the thing everybody you know would attach to this. We can deal with it ourselves. We understand parents, grandparents, siblings. When it comes to your kid, that's a whole other category. Wow. Well, we're pulling for you and Christopher, and uh, all the best of luck. I know it will work out for you because, as you said, you guys are fighters, man, and uh, that's certainly something that we've known from you over the years. I can't let you go without asking you what I ask you all the time. What are you driving? Uh, Q60. Infinity Q60. Beautiful. Uh, Does it make you think about that stuff any differently? I still have to work. i got to crank it out or we don't eat. So. Yeah, I hear you. <laughs> Lorraine, our love and thoughts with you. Good luck with all of this. Uh, and if there's anything we can do, let us know. Thanks so much, Scott. I appreciate it. The Scott Thompson Show. Weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML. 
This is the Scott Thompson Podcast, available on Apple Podcast and Google Podcast or wherever you get yours. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review so you don't miss a thing. I'm Scott Thompson, and thanks for listening.